On this episode of the Violent Professional Podcast, I sit down with Jared Reston, current SWAT team member and owner of Reston Group Critical Solutions. We talk about one of the events that he's most well known for, his thoughts on current events within the law enforcement community, and his company, Reston Group Critical Solutions. If you like this episode, please leave a comment below after the episode is over. This is the Violent Professional Podcast brought to you by AriesClothing.com. Oh man, we are—we finally got you on um, to the the podcast here. I've been waiting to to get you on specifically because um, for those of you those of you who don't know, this is uh, Jared Reston, and he was our first Death Cheetah Award recipient. Um, so we were you know, excited to have him on. We just had to, you know, have a certain amount of time to get him here. So glad to have you on, bud. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we were going to talk about, um, have you talk about your, you know, your background as well as, um, the, the event that we, you know, awarded you the death cheetah award. It was for a specific event. We wanted to, uh, have you talk about that a little bit and then go on from there. All right. Yeah. Um, so I was working off duty, um, in a mall, here in Jacksonville, Florida, um, we got notified of some shoplifters. Uh, loss prevention went to stop the shoplifters. One of them fought the loss prevention. We went out to help during that. One of them took off running. Me and my partner gave chase. I ended up uh, attempting to deploy my taser on the on the subsect. He didn't. The taser malfunctioned. Didn't work. Had to go hands-on with him. Once going hands-on with him, we got into a brief physical fight, which then shortly turned into a gunfight where he shot me with a Glock um, 21, 45 caliber. The first one hit me dead center of my jaw, went through my jaw, exited out my neck. Um, then I took three to the body armor, one through the left thigh, just above the knee, exited out uh, high thigh one in my right buttock, and then like a graze of my, my right elbow, and I was able to return fire, killing him. Yeah, that's pretty worthy of the Death Cheeto Award, I'd, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. that's how, how close were you when you guys were like engaging with your pistols? Um, it went from contact to 10 yards back to contact, because I, I think he thought he killed me, and then when I sat up and started engaging him back, he started, cause he, he started walking away from me. When I first realized we were in a gunfight, he was standing over top of me because it kind of happened like in a dry retention pond. Yeah. So he was like up the bank a little bit, like, you know, four or five feet and aiming down on me. And then like as I'm shaking off the cobwebs and stuff, he's walking away. And every time I moved, he would shoot back at me. But I think he thought he killed me or at least incapacitated me. And then he was just going to get away. And that was just the wrong decision. And, and at that point, Jared, had you put any rounds? Had you even sent any rounds in his direction or... No, no. I, okay. That, I, we were still. When I got shot, I never saw the gun, or any, I thought I was punched. It felt like, you know, just getting blindsided with a with a big hit. It didn't hurt really bad. It didn't. I I didn't hear the noise. I can't say I didn't say see the flash because, you know, like when you get punched in the face, you kind of see that flash. Yeah, that's what kind of all like, you see. <laughs> so, like I don't know if it was muzzle flash or getting shot in the face with a forty five, but so there was a little bit of a flash, and but. And I started falling down and rolling down that embankment. And before I came to like rest, in my head, I was thinking, get up, Jared, get up. He, he caught you with a good punch. Get up, get up, get up. So at that, po- I, at that point, you hadn't even kind of made that conclusion of, hey, I'm at deadly force here. 
He's shooting right. me with a gun. Okay. Right. I just I thought he just hit me. And, and, and I was kind of waiting for him to like jump on. Like I thought he, you know, hit me with a good punch, and then like, and he he's going to be on top of you soon. Yeah. You and, know what I mean? Like, so my thing was just like, shake it off, get to your feet, get to your feet. He's going to be on you soon. And do you? What was he? He had stole like he had stolen merchandise, or he had attempted to steal it. No, he stole a pair of jeans. Okay. Damn. He had two pair of pants on. It's yeah, that's what they do. That or they just they take off shoes and they just put new shoes on and put their old shoes in a box and just like walk <laughs> out with new shoes. It's so dumb. <laughs> it literally is. Uh, fucking idiot. What, what what year was that, Jared? Uh, two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. So I mean, I, that was before my time in law enforcement. I was in in the army then, but. You know what was the what was the climate like there after that happened? You know, I know obviously when there's officer involved shootings nowadays, even when it seems like the suspect has a gun and shoots at the officer and even hits the officer, you know, sometimes there can be just depending on, you know, the community and the environment. I mean, was the community super yeah. supportive of you? I don't, I'm not familiar with the, you know, you guys yeah. down there. I mean, our community was, was super supportive of me. Um, in all my shootings I've ever been in, you know, up to like three years ago, and like they've always been supportive of me. Um, I've never had a questionable shooting, so I can't say how it would be without, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, they were super supportive. I mean, I was Florida's law enforcement officer of the year. Um, the city of, I mean, I was police officer of the year. city of Jacksonville recognized me. You know, state law enforcement. Um, President Barack Obama gave me the, the Medal of Valor. I'm guessing you hate uh, that kind of publicity. <laughs> Like most, yeah, so mo- like most cops, you're probably like, I do not want to go to any of this. Yeah, it, but it's an honor to be just chosen for that kind of stuff. It's, yeah, and that's what I always, you know, a lot of people always get into, you know, it's always bad after you get no shooting. No, it's not. Just make sure it's righteous. <laughs> yeah, 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 make sure it's a good shooting, and then you got no doubt in your mind. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know when they're in officer-involved shootings, you know, there's a lot of material out there and, and studies and stuff. Do, do you remember kind of like your world slowing down and kind of just tenths of a second going by as far as remembering, you know, very vividly about what happened? I don't really. I mean, um, I think that was, I, I was on the SWAT team then. I was, I've already been in a shooting where I was involved. I was probably involved in like three other shootings where people were shooting around me at the time. And through like, you know, through a lot of force through that, the stress inoculation, I didn't, I mean, I was hearing the shots. I was seeing him. I was, I was able to think it, it wasn't anything out of control for me. It was just a steady, I see my sight, break the shot, see my sight, break the shot. Yeah. Do you remember seeing like your actual, you had a good sight picture and every, like you were actually trying to get, get back behind your iron sights? I, I, I was, I had my front sight because, you know, just through train, I, I know to find my front sight. You know, yeah, I had, yeah. I didn't have a perfect sight picture, but I had my front sight, my rear sight, you know, in the same zip code all on the body. And then he gets one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that. And that just seemed to work for me because I was shooting strong hand only because I was pushing off the ground trying to get to my feet. I only made it to my knees, though. Okay. In, in your experience, I mean, I I've pulled my uh, taser a few times on people. I've never been a huge fan of it. Uh, a lot of cops will say nowadays, you know, just because of the liability behind it, it's more likely to fail you than work. Especially out here in Washington, because it's always raining or cold, so people always have you know a hoodie on or something like that. Uh, is, right. Was that did that surprise you that the taser had failed? Like, or you've been in your point in your career where you're like, yeah, this thing might fail on me. Um, it surprised me because I've used it before and it worked. Um, 
but like I don't know because I if I wear it, I I count on it if that makes sense. If yeah, I, yeah. Is it department policy for you guys to carry them? Yes. Yeah. And but I, I mean I counted on. It. I've seen it work several. Like I've seen it work with me pulling the trigger. I've seen it work with other people pulling the trigger. It and you know it works. Um, I've been tased and it worked on me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know if both the probes hit him or only one or? It never deployed. It never shot. Hmm. Did they ever even figure out why it didn't deploy or? They, I did my test before. They just, they just don't. I mean, it's an Xbox controller. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. it's electronic. Anything man-made is gonna fail you at some point. Yeah, and and that's the thing that I always tell people is, you know, it should surprise you that it doesn't work, but not shut you down. It's not like one of those things that all right, well, game's over. This didn't work. It's. All right, get rid of it and let's do something else. Do you, move do you, on to the next. Yeah, do you still have faith in the taser? Uh, I don't carry them anymore, no. <laughs> <laughs> so has that forced you? Because, you know, obviously being a firearms instructor myself as well, and I'm sure you, you know, there's a lot of correlation between how confident you are in what you carry and as far as, you know, people who use excessive force are more likely to use force. You know, sometimes it's because they have very low confidence in their right. tools. Uh, is that something that, you know, you're just like, Hey, I'm just going to increase my hands on defensive tactic skills and not rely on something that's electronic. Yes. And it just, it just let me down in, in, in a big way. So, you know, I mean, I, I just don't care. And like my day-to-day work, you know, I'm full-time SWAT. So if I'm not doing a pure SWAT mission, I'm in jeans and a t-shirt. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't, Yeah. I am very rarely in a uniform ever. <laughs> Do you feel like you've had to increase your defensive tactics and like your hands-on skills with people, you know, after that um, incident, you were, do you think maybe you could have controlled them better or was it just kind of, you know, one of those tense, it, rapidly it evolving was, situations? I mean, it, it happened quickly. I mean, I, you know, I was training MMA stuff. I mean, I like to box. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a hands-on person. Like I like doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, if, when I wrapped them up, I, I brought them in close. I was elbowing them and knee striking them, trying to get them to the ground. And, I mean, he just produced it from somewhere. You know what I mean? I couldn't tell you where he got it. Yeah. I tell you, he he probably, he was so tight, he wouldn't be able to probably punch me real well, which most combatives is built around not taking a big punch. You know, that's why I was pulling him in close. You know what I mean? Yeah. And But when you're pulling him in close, you're now limiting yourself. If he does anything but punch you, you won't see it before it happens. So I kind of think that was a mistake on my part. Like I should have maybe hit him a couple times, created a little bit of distance. Yeah, and, and I know there was two people initially, correct? Yes. Do you guys ever know where the second guy went? I'm, I'm guessing he was eventually identified, or no? They they got they uh, loss prevention took him into custody. Okay, I'm guessing he never had any kind of explanation about hey, I don't know why he was carrying a gun or. Oh well, well he kind of was hard at first, and they, you know they brought because they were going to charge him with felony murder. And then, oh yeah, because you, know, you guys probably have that in your state because kind of a an association, yeah. an association yeah. thing. So things changed real quick, and so now he's like, I didn't know, you know, the same old game to save his life or save his. <laughs> yeah, game. this this the same old thing. So I know yeah. when I when I've watched some of your previous uh, discussions about it, some of the stuff you've mentioned about it is, uh, you know, hey, you should have metal sights. Hey, you should be carrying, you know, extra ammo. Or you were carrying a forty-five then. I was carrying a forty. A forty, okay. I had a Glock twenty two. He had a Glock twenty one. What do you what are you carrying nowadays? Glock seventeen. Glock seventeen. Is that just for the ammo capacity? I mean, I know we won't get into the whole debate about forty five and nine and all that kind of stuff, but 
Yeah. Uh, is that mainly just yeah. for the ammo capacity? I'm, I'm, a co- I'm a capacity guy. Okay. So are you carrying like high cap and you know high capacity mags? You got the plus fives on yeah. them and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um. My and my guns a plus two. My reloads a plus five. Uh, yeah, I was. I thought that was kind of interesting. Some of our guys have been asking about at the PD about putting mag extensions on them. And one of our our uh, county agency, one of their guys just got in a shooting, and uh, he had a bunch of Terran tactical base plates on him that he uses for. I shoot IDPA with them, and so it's kind of funny he can't get any of that stuff back. So <laughs> they're going to hold on to yeah. it for a couple years <laughs> till the civil lawsuit's done, or you know the window of that opportunity has lapsed and so he's like oh man i just lost three terran tactical base plates that ain't cheap they're they're gone yeah, now no, no, that's <laughs> definitely not cheap yeah so i've been debating on it i'm like yeah, i don't know if i'm gonna pull the trigger on that or not ah, it don't matter <laughs> yeah so kind, kind of to switch gears a little bit you know what what kind of made you, you want to be a cop or how'd that all kind of come about did you, you know you're one of those people that you grew up wanting to be a cop or no definitely not um it was just kind of a calling when I got older. My brother, my old, my oldest, my oldest brother is in law enforcement, and I used to ride with him. And you know, I played sports growing up, and I think it was watching him and the camaraderie around him, him and his, you know, the the beat mates, the guys that he worked around on the beat, and they had they had like a good team atmosphere, you know. Yeah. Go out, have fun, you know. Stop crime and just do. And it was it was kind of the same atmosphere as I I had in sports, so I think that kind of drew me to it. Did, did you go to college or anything, or uh, I don't know how it works in in Florida. Do you have to have a degree, or is it a state academy, or uh, we don't have to, but uh, you don't have to. But uh, to work in Jackson, you got to have a four year degree. Yeah, I went to college in Missouri. I grew up, you know, in a suburb of Jacksonville in Orange Park, but I went to school in Missouri. Nice. Where'd you go to school in Missouri? Missouri Valley College. I don't know where that's at. I lived in a little town called Knobnoster for what? That's where Whiteman Air Force Base is, where my dad was stationed. Yeah, yeah. And my wife's my <laughs> wife's from St. Joe, so St. Joseph, Missouri. So, see, yeah. I don't even know that. I didn't even know that was Knobnoster. <laughs> it's like fifteen hundred people there. Yeah. yeah, Missouri can be a a different place. Uh, so after I'm you... finding stuff out about you right now. I thought we I thought we knew each other. I thought other. you knew me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you don't even know how to say my last name. I can't pronounce your last name. Uh, (laughs) So after you kind of started your career in law enforcement, I mean, I know you, you know, you're a full-time SWAT guy now, but have you had any kind of other specialty positions or has it always kind of been patrol and, and then SWAT? Patrol and then SWAT. Um, It was, you know, I I got on to the, I got onto the agency to to join the SWAT team. That was pretty much my goal. Have you guys um, always so had? Have you guys always hired, have you always had a SWAT team, or, or I mean, like a full time SWAT team? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, we, I, I got hired on, worked in the courthouse as a bailiff, then went to patrol, and then we just had to do my time on the streets, and then made the SWAT team in two thousand four. Okay, so you said have you been full time since two thousand four, or? Um. Well, we're. It's a weird combination. Yes, we're a full time team because we through like NTOA standards. Now we're full, full time. But like back then it was, we trained once a week for 10 hours a day. So if just as long as 25% of your day is, or your week is to training, like you are a full time team. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought for the, NTOA. isn't, isn't this, so isn't the standard I patrol, but I always went to SWAT training every Thursday. Okay. Yeah. It, I thought it was like, I thought, did they change it recently? I thought it was two times a month and like, one five-day period a year or something to be considered full-time or that could probably be it yeah i thought the NTOA. we do we do once a week and and two two uh 
two five day periods a, a year. So I mean, we're we've always done that, and now we have now just taken away our secondary duty. So now, if you make the SWAT team, you come to the SWAT office and you are on the SWAT team. Oh, so t- tons of time to maintain a high level of training standard. That's for sure. That's the full time yeah. team. Yeah. So well, what's kind of the biggest changes you've seen, you know, in your law enforcement career? Obviously, it seems cops are making the news weekly, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. We won't go too much into that. But, you know, what have you seen change and where do you see law enforcement going as a career? Because I know you're kind of, you know, how many more years do you have left? Uh, five, I got I got three years till my 20. Okay. And then we'll see how long I stay after that. Yeah. And so, you know, where do you, where, how, what have you seen change as far as like public perception and how policing is conducted and, and where do you see it going? Man, I'll tell you, public perception hasn't changed. There's always been people out there that hate us, There's, but now they're just getting a voice with social media and cell phones and you know what I mean? Yeah. They've always hated us. I mean, man, you got to look at like the six, the fifties and sixties, they were killing cops all like you know i mean like a lot of deaths like way more than there are now but people don't want to remember that stuff you know what i mean yeah Yeah. i saw saw something on social media today where someone was like before this habit we didn't have you know uh, a war on police and i was like no it's it's kind of if you if you can think before social media it's kind of always been the same it's just now like you're saying you you need to get where like you know the 80s you know the 70s brought it and then the 80s were good and 90s were great you know what i mean well, eighties, late eighties, early nineties had crack hit, so that's when everything got real violent, and then that's when they wanted the police to get real. You know what I mean? Like y'all got to stop this. So then you started the task, the, the street crimes, and all that stuff. Um, you know the the drug game changed then. That's you know, watch like old movies of like the sixties. You used to go buy like quaaludes in the bar or something. Like, <laughs> you getting ludes? You know what I mean? And like <laughs> yeah. That's how, and then there was no such thing as a trap house. There was no such thing as people protecting their loads with AK-40. You know what I mean? Yeah. The 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 narcotics games changed, so we had to evolve with it. Because I mean, they they got violent. We had to get violent with it. But I mean, if you like the bombings that used to happen in the '60s were insane. Like you know, blowing up police cars, blowing up police. Like that's the stuff that people forget like, Oh, well, no, it's never been like it. It was way worse in the sixties for police than it is now. Do you, do you so, think, do you think it's, it's, you think we're maybe going to go to a more quote unquote, uh, gentler police force and then, you know, crime will rise up again or, or what have you. And then it will force us or force society maybe to look back and say, Hey, cops do your thing or. Man, I think cops are going to do their thing no matter what. Like all these old time policemen, they like to say that, hey, you know, we're not back in my day. <laughs> That's the classic start of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. There was pussies back in their day. They may have been the pussy back in their day, but they're not doing the job anymore. So now they can talk the big stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just, that's every, it's, I think now that I mean, our, our culture is a little weaker. Like there are policemen now that have never been in a fist fight. Yeah. You know, is that their fault? No. It, you know, if you got into a fight at school, you know, you were suspended from school no matter <laughs> what. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're teaching people not to be in a fist fight, and I get that. And there's some that have, and there's some that haven't, but it's not probably their fault. 
and then, you know, get them in a fight, see how they act. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just one of those things. I, it's not, it's not the end of the world. To, and, and like, you know, they're like, oh, police, it's, it's, to me, I'm just, there's always been people who hate you. Now people are getting a voice and that voice is hitting mainstream media, but it's not, it's, it's not any worse than it was. Like these, like some of the old politicians that hate you and like, you know, talk trash about the police. Well, they were peace, love and happiness hating you in the sixties. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean, yeah, that's an interesting they're, they're point. They're older I, now. They just hate, they hate you just the same. They're just older. Yeah. I really never yeah. thought about the, the social media piece. That is true. Cause that's been so prevalent the past, you know, really the past decade, really a lot the past five, six years. And I feel like yeah, that, that, ma- that does make sense that people just have more of a voice uh, as far as being heard and stuff being filmed to where, you know, you see a video of a cop kneeing some guy is trying to arrest and it makes the news. Whereas, Hey, cops been kneeing, kneeing people resisting arrest for, <laughs> you know, a hundred years. So it's not anything right. new. It's just society seeing it. And, you know, for some people it makes them uncomfortable. And, and I actually was at a recruiting thing uh, yesterday for my police department up at a, a local college here. And it was kind of interesting to, talk to a couple of the criminal justice professors that were hosting it. Uh, Cause that's kind of one of the biggest disconnects I think is uh, between society and law enforcement is people just don't understand, you know, criminal procedures. They don't understand the criminal justice system or case law or, or how it essentially works. People just see right. something on social media and they go, wow, violence is bad. And I mean, uh, right. our RDT instructor and I, I kind of, <clears throat> really like this saying, but you know, no use of force looks good. It always looks bad. Doesn't matter if you use right. the most best takedown technique and you handcuff the guy in three seconds. If someone's filming it, it looks bad. I mean, use of force and just looks bad. And uh, you're right. Well, because people people don't want to see death. Like it's it's a pure lawful shooting, but people don't want to see it. So then they act emotional, like because it makes them feel weird. Yeah. So then they react off emotion not what happened or what they just, that's just the nature of it, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't make it bad or wrong, but people need to sit back and look at the, that's people just act off emotion, which it, you should feel weird watching somebody get shot and die. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're human, it should be kind of like, Whoa. I mean, it should definitely, you definitely should see a video on Facebook and be like, Oh cool. It should, it should always concern you. So, right. A lot of people get on to the police about stuff when they should really, they're enforcing it. Yeah, it, it might be a stupid law. Like, I always get to the, the NYPD guys who um, killed the guy and choked him. Yeah. Um, but he had a heart attack. You know what I mean? But th- they don't like to listen to the facts afterwards. Yeah, I mean, they, and you, you watch they, the you watch the video and you see how you know the guy he was a, a very large guy and you see right. that and from a medical perspective you know it's like yeah I mean that's not healthy and if you induce any kind of stress you know he could have been in an airplane that was getting ready to make a rough landing and have a heart attack. Can, you, like, can, yeah. can one of you talk on that because I I know what you're talking about but for people that maybe not they they confronted the guy for selling single cigarettes and and it's like a task force that does it and it's. For me, it's like that law. Do you think the police got involved in their careers so they can go bust the guy who's selling single cigarettes? No, no, not at all. But somebody put that task force together and made these guys go do this. So they're blaming the police. How about you look at the lawmaker who made it so illegal to sell single cigarettes 
that you now have a task force or the lawmaker says you can't drink a two liter in the city of New York City. Yeah, because of sugar tax and things like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. We just enforce the law. You can't put it on us. Could that have been handled a little differently? Yeah, maybe. I don't, but I don't judge that. Those dudes went out to do a job. He fought. He he was going to jail. That was it. And you know, it's and nobody likes to watch people die in in front of them. those officers. Didn't want, go out and say, you know, I'm going to go kill this dude for selling his damn single cigarettes. Yeah, they could care less. And it's, but it was a job. You know, hey, you want to be on this task force? It'll make you, so you can move your career along. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to be on that task force. I get to wear jeans and shorts and, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'd rather not be in a uniform. I could, yes. And, but they don't look at these things of the, of why were they there in the first place? Yeah, I think that definitely is an interesting uh, point as far as a lot of times people don't understand, you know, we can even bring up, you know, that just happened in Philadelphia, right? The uh, two African-Americans that were arrested for trespassing and things like that. I mean, people don't understand, hey, you have a trespassing law for a reason. If a business calls law enforcement and says, we want them removed, we're going to arrive and remove them. They were asked multiple times to just get up and leave. A supervisor was even called on scene. It's like, hey, get mad at Starbucks. Don't get mad at us. You know, credit on Starbucks for at least taking some accountability. Uh, But but it it, it is – it's like these guys are just doing their job. Like we, you know, arrest people for trespassing all the time because we have – That's what needs to happen with law enforcement. How that chief of police in Philadelphia handled that, he handled it that night – with a, a statement on Facebook or, you know what I mean? Yeah, whatever, he, yeah on, he made a little... On the yeah. social media. Yep. They didn't do anything wrong. This is how... We've always... We have a... As law enforcement as a whole, we have a horrible public relations. You know what I mean? Oh, horrible. Like, like hey, because we want the facts to come out. Hey, we'll talk about this when the facts come out. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's it, you know, the chief... I mean, he, he did. He did a Facebook live stream. He stated it perfectly. Yeah. It's no different than, hey, if you're air inside your house and you see a guy standing on your front lawn at 2 a.m. and you want the cops to come contact him and get him off your lawn. I mean, it's the same principle. Right. The guy does right. not, he's trespassing so, on your property and needs to get off your, off your yard. He, they got out ahead of it. You know, you're going to get tried in the press, so you need to get out ahead of it. And that's what, like, to me, administrators and things like that, those are the classes they need to be taken. You know, I get taken like an active shooter course and all that. But the active shooter thing's going to fix itself if you just put a bunch of good policemen in there and let them do their job. Yeah, yeah, but, I, 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 I've been seeing a lot more, uh, and I don't know if your department does it. Uh, ours is slowly starting to do it more, but uh, there's a couple of departments that have really good social media pages as far as out outreach yeah. to the community. I mean, posting you know pictures of suspects from you know local property crimes. I mean, all that kind of stuff. I think helps show the community hey we're here with you we're here trying to protect you here's people right. we're looking for i mean we our department does a really good job about posting a lot of photos of suspects and we get a lot of good information oh we get them. a lot of help oh yeah that. i mean that stuff but i mean really that the um and it just makes it look like we're hiding something when we're never hiding you know what i mean yeah so, I, I think and i think that's a it's a super uh tough line for the transparency on far as like officer involved shootings or, right. you know, you know, these weird trespassing stuff that makes the news, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how much information can you give up? And in this case with the trespassing thing, it's like, yeah, you can give up everything. Like there's, it's not right. that big of a deal. 
And like, that's one thing is like, you know, in our, like, especially in the officer involved shooting or something like that, they're pretty quick on getting out a picture of the gun that the suspect had. Like, you know what I mean? So there's not that he didn't have a gun thing. Yeah. So our agency is actually very good at just getting a picture of it and being like, no, this is what he had. We're not going to talk about, but yes, there was a gun there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's a picture of it. We're not going to talk about the details of it. Right. I can't. And so as police and as a, we are getting better at it. But I, I think there's still a lot more to, to move forward. Yeah. And keep going. It might have been one of those things where we were kind of, we're behind the ball on it. You know, it, social yeah. media became so prominent 10 years ago and, you know, societies well, moved so fast with it. And then law enforcement just, you know, mainly you got, you know, older administrators and, and all that right. kind of stuff. So they don't, just, they don't know anything about how, yeah. how powerful it is. They're not and, as tech savvy, so they don't really understand it. Yeah, that's a, that's a right. good point. Uh, transition over here. Uh, so let's talk some of the uh, SWAT piece. Just I uh, have you listened to Bill Blowers' podcast he just did? With, I have uh, not heard of yeah. his new one. Yeah, he just did it with uh, another cop podcast. It's called uh, Street Warrior Radio. I listened to it yesterday when I was driving up to that recruiting event. Just in some of this stuff, if you can't discuss like specific tactics, that's fine. But I'm, I know you've seen a lot of stuff Blowers posts. Uh, he posted that one about uh, doing dynamic entries. Uh, you know when it's applicable for retrieving evidence and things like that. W- what's your take on uh, dynamic entries for retrieving evidence or, or for SWAT teams? You know, do you guys maintain a high standard for dynamic entries or? Well, so I'm friends with Bill. Me and Bill are friends. Yeah. So like after I posted on his thing, we talked. It's just different terminology. So we. <sighs> As a team, we still go what some people might call dynamic, but I don't call it dynamic. I call it deliberate. But like deliberate back in the day is like you know a shield with a camera and a and a mirror and all that. We don't go that slow, but we're not just diving into rooms. You know, I don't I don't believe in full dynamic. I, we believe in taking as much of the structure from the outside as we can and locking stuff down. And we've been doing it now for almost almost 10 years now and we're not losing any dope. We're not losing any evidence. So it's looking at each case, you know, and that's only for like drugs. You know, some people will do like a, you know, we're going to go serve the search warrant for stolen motorcycle parts. And just because SWAT's doing it, they're going to go hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. When you're like, why would you go hard? Just do a surrounding call out on that. You can't flush motorcycle parts. You, know I mean? you, <laughs> you can't destroy it. You got to look at what the the evidence that you're trying to. You know, what are you going to do with it? You can't do anything with it. Like, um, you know, some people like with a wanted subject inside a house. You know, why why push dynamic on a wanted person? He can't cut himself up and, and disappear in a house. Oh, Take okay. your time. Use the tactics to get him out. So you guys do more. It's so it sounds like yeah, difference in just terminology. You're doing more of kind of a like a a hybrid almost of deliberate and surrounding call out. Like you guys are obviously doing you know limited entry yeah. and still doing yeah. some. Okay, we're we're still pushing. I mean, we still you know you still have the the, the foundation of CQB of speed, surprise, and violence. That that still all has to happen. But now it's just you're doing it a little bit controlled, and you're. And you're meeting somebody on your own terms, not just crashing into them as you're going into a door. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> something that uh, 
I know from, you know, me and Mike, you know, being in the military too, it, it seems it was a weird shift. You know, I was in the infantry. So coming out, you know, from doing deployments and stuff into law enforcement, it was kind of different seeing how, you know, sometimes going, you know, speed surprise, violence of action, all that stuff's good. But in law enforcement, it's almost, you want to work a little bit backwards. You know, you want to make sure they know you're the police, right? You don't want them to have the argument of, I thought he was breaking into my house and, and all those uh, dumb arguments end up becoming case law somehow. So it, it was right. it was kind of like a shift in tactics as far as my mind because coming from the infantry, it's like, yeah, dude, just we're gonna kick this door down, so run in there, and kill him. It doesn't matter. At that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like, let's just get in there. Let's just throw some bangs, and <laughs> that'll freak yeah. them out enough. They'll be in the corner of the room shivering. Uh, but but I mean, these are, these but, aren't these aren't uh, that's what <laughs> compounds in Afghanistan with guys in manjamas. So we always talk about like kind of like the start of the SWAT teams like you know people will argue like you know we had a SWAT team first but LAPD is pretty much the the grandfathers of SWAT like any SWAT team probably would mimic their tactics off of LAPD you know what I mean yeah and they were designed when they first came out they were just for the barricaded subject they weren't really doing anything you know early 80s so in 1984, Olympics changed domestic law enforcement tactics. So the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles, Los Angeles is still the only city municipality to ever handle all security for an Olympics. Which is crazy they, to think about because that's a they lot. Told, they told the FBI to screw off. They told, you know what I mean? They told everybody, like, we got this. And they had SWAT and they sent, they sent guys to Israel. They sent the SAS. They, you know, they, they developed everything, you know, these hostage rescue tactics, um, you know, counterterrorism tactics, all this stuff. So they're, they're spooled up, ready to go, you know? Yeah. Well, after the Olympics, let's say 1986 is probably when crack hit California real big. They started getting, hey, here it is, um, you know. I need you to hit this drug house or this building or whatever it is, but it's fortified. It has this, there's armed people in it. And they're like, Hey, we got a tactic for that. Right. I mean, it's, we're going to, so that's where like dynamic entry started on dope warrants was pretty much, they were doing hostage rescue on dope. And hmm. that's how it started. And no one really sat back and started looking at it. Even special operations overseas stopped and looked at like, Hey, why are we pushing so hard? when we're going after a person, you know, it, yeah, they're, they're it, not, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> right. Then we're going to surround it. We're going to work it out. We, I mean, they still have out, like it's not, it's different surrounding a house and in, in, in the middle of a, the United States. I mean, it's not like they're going to, the neighbors are going to start fighting here. Or the, uh, you know, yeah. the <laughs> but it's still, you got to look at what's, what's happening, what you're doing and what risk you're willing to, to hang it out there. You know, hostage rescue, I'm going to push a little more because that's the mission. Yeah, you're trying to rescue somebody. Right. And I get it. I mean, pushing hard is fun. It's awesome when you're done. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bury a brother for, for, you know, for dope sack of cocaine. You know what I mean? I don't, I, it's just not, it's not worth it to me. And I'm not saying that we're not going to die doing the tactic that we do. It's all dangerous. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I I try to but I try to always explain to people. Just a, it to me, it's just a tick safer. If it's five percent safer, why not do it? 
if we're not losing evidence. Yeah, it's all about the mitigation of risk. And I think that's one of the uh, things that's hard to relay to people. Hey, it's, you can't you can't absolve the risk in this job and anything you do, whether it's patrol or SWAT or anything, all you can do is just, right. mit- all you can do is mitigate it. And yeah, that's true. I mean, every, every tick percentage, you can increase your chance, uh, to, you know, change the outcome of, of it. I mean, you definitely got to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's kind of interesting. I, I really enjoyed, uh, Bill's, uh, post on that as well as his, uh, ho- his, uh, hostage rescue post, it, but they both kind of, you know, it's nice because, uh, you know, we'll kind of caveat in, into your training company here in a sec, but it's hard for law enforcement. I don't know how you guys' state agency is, but uh, our state agency going through the academy, there's just some, some, you know, some continuity issues as far as what's being taught and stuff like that. And so it's nice having a trainer like Bill that runs his own company because, you know, it's good quality training. It's covering things like case law, current stuff, you know, current TTPs for teams and stuff that are actually going to be applicable. Whereas... Right. You know, there can be some some outside trainers that I would say, from a law enforcement perspective, just aren't as well going to because they're not bringing that law enforcement dynamic or that, you know, case law and stuff that's more relevant for, I guess, cops, you could say. There seems to be a right. lot seems to be a lot of training companies out there. They provide great training, you know, for civilians for sure. But for law enforcement, I think some of them I, I recommend people not to go to just because you're not going to get that law enforcement perspective from it. And that could you know, hurt you in the long run. You try to use that kind of stuff out in the real world. Right. So right. what, what kind of made you want to start the training company? I mean, all that stuff, how long has it been around? So my training company was, I probably started eight years ago, I believe eight years ago. And it was after my shooting, I was going around to a lot of different, you know, SWAT agencies and SWAT conferences and just different th- and speaking on my shooting and just doing a debrief and, that's when I came to realize that not all police agencies are trained the same. Yeah. They're not given the, some of the, the right tools. And like, that's when I was like, Hey, I, I have been blessed with being on the team that I'm on and the trainers that I've been around and the, the things that I'm, I get to learn. And, you know, I've had some of those classes, like you're saying, like, you know, from somewhere like military use, like this was great stuff, but I can't use it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like some like different things. So to me, we've developed a program from all this stuff, taking pieces from everything and moved it into this is what we do in law enforcement. So like that's that's like our bread and butter. And hopefully we're getting good information, great tactics, high standards pushed out to law enforcement. So are, is your is your target mainly law enforcement or is it civilian too or uh civilian also. Um you know, this is what I always tell cops too. You know, people are like, oh, how do you train civilians? I was like, well first off this is America and you you need to be teaching these guys. <laughs> yeah. But you need to you you if you see a law for or a civilian at a class that you're taking, you need to shake their hand. Because without them purchasing slots to train you would not have the trainers out there there's no agencies there's not enough i hate to sound like but like there's not enough money from coming from law enforcement to sustain somebody in a company it's just not worth yeah, their time the, the, the civilian market is keeping like keeping instructors eating so they can keep spreading the word to to the people and so 
you need to really appreciate civilians that at least are serious enough to really go out and, and train. Because, I mean, if you see a civilian in a class, that's not your average Joe. Like, he's... Yeah, he's spending his own money on ammo and the range. Oh, yeah. the You've got to think about, like, so, like, it's funny, like, you know, it's 550 for a weekend class, typically. It's, like, the going, the, the industry standard. Um, they're, they're normally traveling. They probably have to take one or two days off of work on what one end of the training course. You know what I mean? Yeah. They got to pay for a hotel and then they got to pay for ammo. They're out about 2,500 to $3,000 for a weekend. Yeah, That's a week in Maui. <laughs> right. And that's, that's the pat. And like, you know, law enforcement is like, Oh shoot. The department made me go on my off days. I could, <laughs> they wouldn't. Yeah. You know, they gave me ammo. They gave, I'm like, man, Come on, man! <laughs> like you need to yeah. put this stuff in perspective that of what people are doing and appreciate them. So, 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 so is it is this something uh, like that you plan on taking full time when you retire, or you don't really know where this is going to go yet? I mean, because I know you've you've obviously have already started to build you know reputation as an instructor, all that kind of stuff. You know, I know you were just at the right. ranch for the. A synopsis thing that they had a couple weeks ago. I mean, is this something you plan on doing full time when you retire, or? I hope so. You know, if it's if it spools into that, I mean, I, I hope that no matter what I do, I, I'll still train doing something. It's just kind because of just I, just in your blood. I, you just gotta. <laughs> I like it, and I like. I mean, I like getting out there, and I like meeting. But I I truly think that we have we have a good program that that fits a lot of different needs, and and. I feel like I'm a I'm a pretty good coach, and I can I can re- put the information to people a way that they understand it. So, how have you balanced, you know, running a company and still being, you know, on the on the law enforcement side of things? Like, is it is it super hectic with family life, or you know, you only yep. you only dedicate certain time to it a day, or? And there's not a, there's not enough time in the day. <laughs> That's true. You need like forty eight hour days to make a company work. You know, no matter what scale yeah, it I is. Mean, but you gotta. I go to work. I got three boys. They're all in sports. I coach their sports. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I'm training. I'm gone a lot. I think I'm going right now, like on, you know, sixteen days without a day off. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just but just if, basically, if you just gotta happen, grind, you grind better, through it. You yeah. Hustle. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you know all about that. Yeah, yeah it just never stops. <laughs> Not in law enforcement, but I can imagine on top of running a business, a training company, and then, you know, doing <laughs> doing your day-to-day job. It's like when I was in the military and special ops, like yeah. trying to start this company up. It was like I <laughs> I had no fucking time to breathe. It sucked. All right. It was but, worth it. I mean, you, you got to make it to – I mean – only lottery winners ever say it was easy to come rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they blow their money on stupid stuff. Yeah. So, so uh, do you, are you the only instructor? Do you, do you have some, um, I, you know, some guest instructors from the SWAT team or? Um, the only true instructor I have is, is my partner, Michael Hyde. Uh, he was a mentor of me as I, as I came up. Like he taught me, you know, taught me how to shoot, but we've shot together for years and years. And um, so we've kind of developed curriculum together, and you guys got a pr- pretty good working dynamic, obviously. Yes, and uh, if if we can, like he'll go somewhere. We'll always have an AI with us, 
but that's kind of just a safety guy or something like that. Yeah, but typically it's me and Mike somewhere. To get, we're always together. I wouldn't say always, but 95% of the time, if you sign up for a resting group class, you'll have me and Mike. What kind, what kind, so what kind of course are you guys covering just everything? If you want to kind of maybe overview some of the courses you're teaching right now. Um, all firearms, you know, pistol, rifle stuff, CQB, and just kind of whatever you want to do. Uh, but our bread and butter is, is just CQB room clearing and shooting. Do you guys have any big future plans for anything you want to want to drop right now? Like, you guys going to teach any precision shooting stuff, shotgun stuff, or anything else down the pipeline? Uh, just go to restinggrouptraining dot com and look at our schedule. We always we're we're always somewhere. We got, I mean, look us up if you're in the area. Let's do some shooting. If you're interested in bringing us out, reach out to me and. We'll talk about hosting a course. Yeah, so people can find you at that website as well as on social media, correct? On Facebook or Instagram? Where are you primarily on? On uh, Facebook and Instagram. Is, is You can contact me there. You can contact me on my website, too. It's, it's all I'm, – I'm good about getting back to people. Awesome. All right, a couple little last rando questions for you, Jared. So uh, red dots on pistols for patrol. What's your stance on that? I, I know you started to shoot a Delta Point, just kind of – you know, obviously, that's been like a hot it's topic like in law enforcement. Like you've been stalking him or something. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I follow yeah, so his page. Twenty eighteen is my year of the red dot, and why I've done that, I've shot him in the past, and I like him, and I think it, it's applicable. But to me, I didn't ever want to show up to a class like a red dot pistol and like nobody have it on the line. Yeah. So then, like, well, you shoot like that because you have a, you know, what I mean. So I always shoot my irons, and you know. It's just dependent on what – do I think it's a good advantage? Yes, I do. I think it helps a lot of people, and I think that we've hit the technology where it's getting more and more dependable. You know, I'd say four or five years ago, you know, with batteries, you know, and things like that, it just wasn't where it should be for duty use. Yeah, I've been I've been testing uh, a Delta Point for about five months, and we're probably about ready to start implementing them into the patrol guys. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I, people go back and forth on it. You know, people talk about lighting conditions, and I mean all that stuff. And I kind of look at it the same way from the military perspective when they first switched to optics and red dots. You know, there's a lot of naysayers like iron sights only; these will fail in combat, and uh, then they don't fail. So. Yeah, I, yeah, and you know, I just feel like maybe that's just kind of the typical law enforcement response to to change as far as the red dots come in. But it seems like, like you mentioned, the technology is just getting so much better. It's going to be interesting to see every year what companies are releasing because they're just getting better and better as far as battery life and quality. Uh, I've seen, right. I've seen personally just my twenty five yard shot group just get so much cleaner. And I'm a huge advocate for it for law enforcement just because. Uh, just a total overall sight picture. So, you know, if I've made the decision to fire or if I'm looking through that red dot, you know, you can still have really great situational awareness on the on the threat you're pointed at. Whereas when you're using irons at 25, I mean, the entire dude's gone. You can't see anything yeah. he's doing with his hands or anything like that. So yeah. I think and there's definitely right. something that's it, to it. I'm t- it's going to come down to money. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. The, for every agency. That's always the problem is money. And so is an agency going to you know, you spend 450 bucks on a Glock and then you got to spend 
six hundred dollars on an optic. You know what I mean? Or yeah, you, you yeah. got to double the price. They're like, nah, let's not get crazy. Yeah, I've been seeing. <laughs> I, I've I've been seeing them more and more. Actually, was up at the academy in uh, December to watch one of our guys shoot, and there was someone in his class that was was actually from uh, Bill's agency that was carrying a red dot, and so. But yeah, right. that that's all personally bought, and they have to you know manage the upkeep of it and stuff like that. Uh, my my biggest fear, like you know most instructors fears would be is you don't want someone to get it that's going to be super lazy or you know they're that guy that pushes out when they have to use it and they haven't checked their battery in six months and there's no battery there that or just (laughs) you know you you got to limit you know what you can you know you don't want like some tasco you know like i got this one at the gun show they say it's made in the same factory (laughs) as a chichicon yeah oh yeah yeah and that's hard that's (laughs) a hard thing from an instructor standpoint you know we have all the same optics on our patrol rifles but for the red dot you know people are gonna have to buy them themselves but they have to be approved by a firearms instructor but right you know the companies out there we just it worries me from an instructing standpoint is you know being on the firing line and there being like eight different styles of optics not that they'd all be bad or anything but just that you're like oh man you know people got different moa dots on them and so that 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 piece should be interesting i think it will be kind of interesting in the next 10 years to see if law enforcement's going to switch that a lot because i feel like a lot of people uh, it, it's are gonna go interested i mean there's in no it. doubt about it it's gonna like teaching in that symposium uh last week in texas um that was a you know that was a great a great event but i'm gonna say that there were so many people there with red dots like that was the most red dots i've ever seen on a pistols in any class hmm. and because i mean those were people who you know, they like to train. They like, you know, if you like to do it and you're good at it, typically you're going to have a red dot on your pistol. Yeah, you're going to spend the money on it. Uh, so I got some leadership questions. Have you listened to any of our other podcasts? We'll blank this out if you say no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I have. <laughs> so I did one with Mike. Uh, it was probably like our second or third one. I'm huge on leadership. It's just something that I, I enjoy reading a lot of books on leadership and stuff like that. And in leadership from the military and law enforcement, just kind of interesting. Uh, so what are some leadership stuff that you've learned throughout your career? Uh, like what's some good leadership stuff you've seen? What's some bad, what's some stuff you try to emulate or some characteristics you try to emulate? For me is a good leader is someone with a, has a good heart and good goals and a good ethos. And living up, not trying to be what you think some like someone above you wants you to be, but you be you and be true to, to your men. And that, to me, is a good leader. Like, too many people want to get promoted and like, well, what's the guy above me? What is he like? Well, I'll be him instead of being me and still getting promoted. Like, most of the most of the administration in my department that I respect got there their way. They didn't get there the fast way. They didn't get, you know what I mean? Yeah. They stayed true to themselves while right. rising through the ranks. Right. They, they didn't diminish or anything. They didn't not even sell out, but they didn't, they didn't go the way that, you know, they went against the grain, I guess you could say. Do, do you think that, that, leadership is something that's often overlooked in law enforcement because me personally i just feel at least out here it's something that you know it's it's rarely talked about or i kind of make fun of i've made some of a few of my buddies recently that have had to go on to some 
you know, mandatory leadership stuff, and you know, it's ran by the FBI and stuff. And so I, I give them crap because you know she could, they could yeah. even convict Hillary, but uh, <laughs> so I I just give them crap on stuff like that. So I mean, do you think it's something that's just that's overlooked a lot by law enforcement? Well, yes, I think that in law enforcement rank gives you leadership, which isn't necessarily true. You know, I think the way they test to get supervisors and things like that, there's no leadership real quality, especially down here. There is no, the leadership aspect of it doesn't pay any, any penance in what you're doing. Like, so like, if you want to be a sergeant, you pass a test and you do, Boom, you know I mean? yeah, you get the stripes. Yeah. You don't, your, your, what you've done with your career doesn't pay any, doesn't give you any points. Like, so you're the same as some dude who just sat back and did nothing his whole career. You know what I mean? And that's. Yeah. You take, I, you take the test, you score higher. Boom. Right. Promoted. Like, you know, like to me on my team, when I, they picked me to be an assistant team leader, that's, you know, that's peer based. And that was more of an honor than ever. If I ever passed a test and became a sergeant. Yeah. Because I, I earned that through, through what the fellas think of me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I don't know who has the original quote. Who knows nowadays? But uh, one of the things I like a, a leadership thing is is uh, you don't get to decide if you're a leader. Like the dudes underneath you decide if you're a leader or not. And right. that's something right. I think that's lost a lot on in our career field. Is just people think just because you got you know Bill used a good example yesterday stars and galaxies on your collar that uh, you're a leader. You know it's really not really not true. Right. That's you're exactly right. Cool. Well, Jared. Um, yeah, sorry to talk to you today, yeah. Jared. What, yeah, was, that? what was that? What was that? Two hours? I didn't get a fucking word. In. I'm usually talking <laughs> all the time. Mike was like, "We're doing a podcast with Jared." I'm like, "I'm gonna write a buttload of questions." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I want to I want to thank you for coming on. It's uh, what we're trying to do with this podcast is a little bit different than what you see with our, you know, the the main company trying to open yeah. up questions. Like, um, we had one about you know, um we had a topic of conversation on the last one with a dude from barrel and hatchet training group about, you know, fundraisers and how people aren't really aware of what they're doing when they're, they're raising money, but at the same time throwing it in their company and stuff like that. So, um, we're trying to do just something a little bit different and have a little bit more serious and then some, you know, light conversation at the same time. But, um, uh, but I appreciate the time that you've given us and, and given your perspective on the uh, law enforcement and, and your, you know, career as a whole. No problem, guys. Yeah. Again, so <laughs> so anybody listen to uh, this podcast can go check out Jared's company, Reston Group, at uh, Reston Group on Instagram, Facebook, and then his website as well. All right. Thanks, All right. guys. Thanks, Thanks man. again, Be man. Be safe. Later.